Welcome to the Burns and Lynch famous royal family of strange people. This collection of human oddities and freaks is the greatest attraction of its kind in the world. And now, without further ado, here is our first unusual curiosity. 35 years ago, Diane was born a normal girl. At the age of 12, a strange transformation began to take place. After consultation with several specialists, it was discovered that she was developing the characteristics of both sexes. Instead of becoming a normal young woman, she was becoming virtually a brother and sister in the same body. The bearded lady! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Diane. Welcome to part two of our mutations episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, Alex, as we proudly announced at the beginning of this episode, uh, the patron invasion has started. Most of our main feed is now going to be made up of a Stuff that the patrons pick from every level, but that's you know that's something that's gonna take us through the uh, I don't know next five months or so. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't mean that that's the only thing that's patron related. Uh, as usual, we have stuff for the patrons in the patron feed. If you're on the on the ground floor, if you're on the Travolti tier, you have access to our cutting room floor stuff. As we mentioned when we were recording the Goodfellas episode. Those were long conversations, even when we're in real talk and we're like, I don't know what we can say about Goodfellas. Like, we ended up talking overall, it was like a three hours recording. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, the, the end result was actually just uh, episodes that were uh, the two parts, like each were just a little over an hour. So, a lot of good stuff that just available only for patrons uh, on, on that feed. In this month, as usual, we have a bonus episode that's just for patrons picked by Jamie Russell. He wants to hear us talk about the movie Thunder Road, written, directed, and starring Jim Cummings. Uh, it's a, that's a 2018 movie for those of you who are not familiar with it, because there's apparently there's uh, at least one other Thunder Road that's from further back in our history. So the 2018 Thunder Road, Jim Cummings, Alex, you are familiar with him because he is one of the cops in Halloween Kills in the flashbacks. Cool. Now, I don't know if he's the guy that gets killed by uh, by Young Will Patton or if he's like somebody else, but he is in that movie. So that's the bonus episode for March. Then if you're on the next level, the Winonis and any other tiers uh, going up, you also have access to our pre-recording notes and a quick video reviews. Uh, this month, Jordan is assigning quick video reviews to us. Alex, uh, he knows you're a horror person, as we've repeatedly mentioned during this episode. <laughs> so he's giving you a horror movie that's available on Shutter. It's called Skinamarink. Skinamarink. Mm-hmm. Have you heard Skinamar- of this? Skinamarink. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion pertaining to this recently. Uh, okay, and- but you haven't seen it, right? No, I can't remember if my sister watched it or not. I know. A uh, friend of the podcast, Reed, saw it and recommended it. So, bring it on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he told me, he asked me if you'd seen it, and I said, what's well, a new movie, so probably not. <laughs> that's that's a safe bet. 
on my end, he is giving me the movie Dashcam, which I've also heard of. I want to say, and I could be wrong, uh, that this is from the same director that did that movie Host, that the one that's so Host was about the Zoom call. And I think Dashcam, as the title would indicate, is it's a movie that's all from the point of view of a Dashcam, a police Dashcam. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm weary. That sounds a little too gimmicky, especially if you're a director that's already made a movie that's similar. But I, I'm going to go open-minded and see where where this dash cam takes me. Uh, but yeah, quick video reviews from both of us. Uh, and then, of course, we have Contreras After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, reading, playing, thinking about. Uh, in this case, it's going to be about something that we both watched. Not together, but something that we definitely... Uh, need to talk about and need to talk about in something that relates to the show because it's related to an episode of the show that we did about a year ago. Alex, what are we talking about in uh, this installment of After Hours? Well, you finally did your duty as a taxpaying citizen and went and saw Avatar 2, The Way of Water. So we're going to talk about that. Cameron. There's a, there's yeah. a lot to discuss. I saw it back in December, uh, the weekend of its release, and I said I was going to wait till you saw it before we really dove into any feelings about it and uh i recommended that you should see it so if nothing else we could use it for a version of after hours an episode of after hours there are three reasons i watched avatar the way of water first and foremost was that uh, my co-host here watched it and would not stop telling me to watch it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the second reason is that i got a best picture nomination because the academy saw that it was three hours long and they're like of course it must be worth something and the third reason as i think i've mentioned before is because uh kate winslet is in it all right hold on too there needs to be like a caveat or an asterisk in that statement i repeatedly told him he needed to see it in imax 3d and sadly he did not so i did not i was planning to uh when i finally there was a weekend where it looked like he was gonna work out i was gonna be able to carve three hours of my life to just sit in the movie theater not counting you know time getting there and back and everything but the mcu my beloved mcu uh, got in the way of my plans because all the imax 3d screens are taken by ant-man i assume that wasn't actually shot with like imax cameras in 3d it's just that that's the monopoly they have on the market right I, I guess so. But also, I mean, Ant-Man is so little that you need the biggest screen ever. Oh, to- my God. I, t- I teed you up for that, man. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk about Avatar The Way of Water. And I'll throw in also, Alex, just this will be really quick. Uh, it'll probably be like 10 minutes altogether. But I, I also watch Elvis and I watch The Banshees of Inisherin, which are two other Best Picture nominees. Because, you know, it's that time of the year. It's when you start catching up with everything that's been nominated that you haven't seen yet. Uh, so I'll tell you, Elvis, probably a movie that you will never watch in your life. And because uh, that's Baz Luhrmann. And The Banshees of Inisherin, uh, I might convince you to watch it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if I can do that. But the bulk of the After Hours is going to be Avatar The Way of Water. So you have that to look forward to. Um, so if any of these things sounded interesting, well, what are you waiting for? Go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Prime. Take a look at our tiers. See if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10, our respective tiers. Head on over. Take a look around. Drop a, drop a buck in. 
four quarters. I mean, as I say, there's not too much you can buy these days for a buck. The goddamn McDouble's like two forty nine now. It's ridiculous. But go ahead and sign up. You know, it's just a dollar for a month. And if you don't like what you see, we'll know. We'll be able to see that and we'll have to reassess. But I'm not too worried about that because I'm pretty confident once you check out what we offer there, you're going to enjoy it. And to our current patrons, and I guess this can be a teaser for any potential ones, we have a new project coming up that will start in April. Uh, more on that to come soon. Uh, this will this will be released in March, right, Julio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, the first episode of March. Okay, so probably the next episode after this, we'll make the official announcement of what's going on. But that's to kind of whet your appetite that a patron-exclusive miniseries is in the works. Uh, To all of our current patrons, love you all dearly, and we look forward to accepting and reviewing applications for many new ones. And now, Alex, let's let's go back to the lab. Let's sift through the, the wreckage the ashes, and just talk seriously about the mutations. The only way that that this conversation could could be a serious discussion about Donald Pleasance and uh, his shenanigans in 1974. They are the only ones in the world. It has taken me years to develop them to this size. As yet, I haven't been able to get them to reproduce. Trying to find any box office information I can on it. It's uh, proving rather fruitless. But <laughs> it did lead me to finding what I never knew, that the top domestic grossing film of 1974 is Blazing Saddles. Can you believe that? Yes. And as an aside, I don't want to get too far into this, lest we end up with a with a segment that's going to end up in Patreon. But um, I've I've heard several people say that uh, one that Blazing Saddles doesn't hold up. Not okay, not in the the humor kind of, but it more like it's offensive now. Like it's that it not just offensive, but it's problematically offensive. Uh, and two that you could never make that movie today. Uh, the second one, I think that we can discuss about that. But the first thing, like I don't think I think the whole point was that you know it's like I don't think it's a racist movie. I think it's making fun of racism. Do you agree? Like, have you seen Blazing Saddles? Yes, and I agree with that. Okay, I'm glad. Because otherwise, we're just going to stop the podcast right now and just <laughs> discuss off-air. <laughs> Sit down, watch Blazing Saddles together, and then we come back and finish the conversation with the mutations. But yeah, it, well, it doesn't surprise me that I made money in 74. Gene uh, Wilder was, you know, a hunk back then. Yeah, it's just kind of surprising that Blazing Saddles, you know, because Godfather 2 came out that year. Uh, and of course... 15th, and this is domestic, keep in mind, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, making more money than Chinatown. Suck it. (laughs) Uh, Why did I completely blank on his name there? Nicholson? No, not Nicholson. Fuck. um, Polanski? Polanski. Thank you. Yeah. Robert Townsend? (laughs) (laughs) Faye Dunaway? So unfortunately, not able to find too much in the way of box office information here about the mutations. But uh, again, it was released September 25th, 1974. Didn't get released until the next month in the UK, which seems kind of backwards, right? Yeah, that's so weird. That's like when uh, major blockbusters shot in the US or surrounding areas get uh, get released in Latin America first. Like I know my my Peruvian friends get to see a lot of the a lot of like the big superhero movies like they open the week before mm-hmm. <laughs> over there, which is 
just weird. It's like, how? Why? I guess international markets, you know, they, they have their own rules. Jack Cardiff, director, again, written by Edward Mann and Robert D. Weinbach, starring Donald Pleasance and Tom Baker. And then also, I believe Brad Harris and Judy Ige got billing as well. A science fiction horror film, as it's described, The Freak Maker. The term freaks, I was, I was using pretty loosely in the first half. And I don't want that to be taken out of, not necessarily out of context, but just, uh, I mean, that's what they were called at the time. And also the movie that I adore greatly, Freaks, speaks to that. And boy, does this movie try to speak to that movie. I legit laughed out loud when they had like the the dinner party scene. I was like, this is mm-hmm. literally just the fucking scene from Freaks. Like, what the fuck? And Okay, but, but story-wise, it's not, right? I mean, I haven't seen Freaks, but it's... Uh from what i understand one of the one of the members of the of the group falls in love with a, an outsider and that outsider is a bad person right yes that's correct uh i do want you to see that movie someday so i don't want to give too much away in, in this case there's no uh human eating plants no 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 that that's what i meant of like this conflates and you know puts a couple of kind of iconic horror films from the preceding decades into a blender. And it's just like, well, let's just hope, you know, we get a young audience who's not familiar with those. Cause anyone who's seen these other movies will be able to see through it right away. Um, <laughs> when you talk about freaks though, I, this is, I, I want to just go ahead and start with this so we can get this part of the discussion out of the way. The movie came out in 1932. And with that point in time was like, man, holy shit. 40 years later, I think that it comes across in more questionable taste and borderline on exploitative in this versus freaks where it was just like a kind of revolutionary idea for a film that was being made shortly after the great depression here. It's kind of off putting. I know it's is that kind of contradictory to say one's okay and the other's not just based on time errors. Well, I think I'm sorry. It was, I, I always get the depression dates confused. It was during the great depression. So if you didn't have enough to worry about, go watch this movie. <laughs> See, that makes it okay. <laughs> well, I think that maybe what's, uh, from what I understand of Freaks and having seen this movie, maybe what makes it, what bothers you in this one is that it's not at the forefront. Like Freaks sounds like it's very much about the the exploitation. And so in a way, it, it takes it more seriously. Whereas this one, the exploitation is just kind of a, appropriately a sideshow to the real plot of Donald Pleasance and his his mad experiments and so maybe that makes it feel like the the idea of uh, uh, you know a, a carnival exploiting these people is just it's a little reductive of that because that's not the real story <laughs> the real story is what Donald Pleasance is doing maybe that's that's what's keeping you from loving it uh, at least that's what it sounds like it's keeping you from loving it. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this. Maybe you're going to turn on me and tell me that this is actually that you thought about it and the mutations is great. No, I just kind of felt like this was necessary to start with because this is obviously something like that people are going to draw attention to about this movie. And uh, I would be hard pressed to say that I was like offended by this because honestly, this is, you know, this traveling group. That's how they made their living and whatnot. And, you know, I'm. Who's to say whether that's right or wrong? Well, but there is, I think that there's a difference between somebody voluntarily 
putting on a show and and then people you know like the contract between the performer and the audience being equals right look i yeah. can like stick this needle through my neck and you go wow that's awesome versus somebody doing that uh, and, and you being repulsed and just feeling like you're getting away with something and yeah. you know what i mean like the reactions from the audience uh, during that sequence they were not there were not people that were in awe and i think that that's the problem that it's it dehumanizes the performers i don't know i mean i didn't feel that the movie was doing it at least not in that sense i always felt that the movie had sympathy for the performers and that's why i was i was halfway serious in the dress corner where i you know i don't know enough about uh what it was like in 74 like w- was jack cardiff very much indicting the audience you know, it's like yeah. you are the real freaks <laughs> because you're not seeing these people as human. Or was he being part of the problem and just using them for shock value? That's a good question, not one that I know because I, I was trying to match that up. It was like I didn't realize this thing was still like a traveling circus act, and then I was trying to match up like when my mom told me she would have seen it, but that would have been, you know, a decade prior to this. Or whatever the case. You know, you brought up the Blazing Saddles thing. I couldn't make that movie today. And that's, uh, I think people would get really offended at something like this being featured in a movie today. Well, today they make, um, it's called Nightmare Alley, the Game of the Tour movie that got nominated for Best Picture last year, where, uh, where super hot Bradley Cooper is part of the carnival show. <laughs> there you go. Well, he's a mentalist. So, you know, he just has mental powers. Which is arguably more offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on, Tony. Even if it's a fake, let's look at it anyway. All right, Julio, before you and I get to how we feel about this, and I can almost guarantee how you feel about this movie, let's get some positive quotes in here. Who's liking this movie? And then, of course, our patron of the day, Dale, his thoughts on it as well. So take it away. Okay. So positive quotes from Letterboxd this time. Uh, we have a five-star review from Narwhal's Tooth, who says, the dialogue is the very definition of tedious, but those rubber monster suits, the breathing plants, genuine sideshow performers, 70s fashion, and a loopy jazz intro and documentary-worthy footage of mushrooms? It's all so great. Off to find a DVD copy, so I'm never without the opportunity to watch this one. Um, Fair assessment. Yeah, kudos to him for for putting his money where his mouth is. Just <laughs> spending, <laughs> dropping probably $40 on a, on a physical copy of uh, The Mutations. <laughs> Here's one from Tony Tony Tonelock. Four stars. God, damn, I thought you were going to say Tony 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 like the New Jack Swing Band. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> no. Tony Tony Tonelock. Four stars. And this uh, rewatch. Uh, also known as The Mutants or Freak Maker, but by any name, this is an excellent slice of 70s drive-in horror and remains totally underappreciated. I probably know 10 people who've seen Freak Maker, but I've never heard anyone say a bad thing. Donald Pleasance plays a titular Freak Maker, combining plant DNA with humans to create plant-human hybrids. It takes minutes for visible change, kind of like Easy Bake Evolution. <laughs> All right, let's close with, with Dale. He says, I love the 1932 cult horror movie Freaks by Todd Browning. It's a black and white classic about a group of sideshow performers who are spurned by an evil woman. And they have their revenge. 
Gobble Gobble, One of Us, One of Us. The director of The Mutations was obviously a fan of Freaks as well. It's an unofficial 1974 remake with Donald Pleasence as an evil plant scientist and a troupe of SciShow performers trying to take him down. And honestly, if that sentence doesn't make you want to at least watch the movie, we can't be friends and I hope you burn in hell. That is extremely fair. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So before I, uh, we even get into how we feel about the movie, I, I think that... We can be friends and we won't burn in hell because that sentence makes me want to watch the movie <laughs> and made me want to watch the movie. Uh, well, there you, you know, don't, even before you even get into the plants and the performers, we are at a point in our contrarian journey. Uh, I am at least where, you know, if you tell me Donald Pleasance as a mad scientist, I'm there. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I think that you were already there before we even started the podcast. <laughs> But I, I've caught up a little bit, and I, I appreciate Donald Pleasance as an actor, too, where I'm just curious to check out anything that he's in. This was an, an easy sell as far as – I was really curious about it. I was I was looking forward. There, every now and then, there are movies I find intimidating, uh, not necessarily because I think they're going to be bad, but just because I feel like, oh, God, I'm going to have to um, sit down and, and, and just put myself through this, whether it's good or bad. But this was not one of those. This was – this seemed like it was going to be a, an easy watch. Uh, did you have that same uh, experience, Alex? Like, what were your expectations going in? 70s horror, man. You never fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> Could be anything. Uh, when it started, I kind of got a pretty quick feel for what this was going to be. You know, there's nothing wrong with being predictable. One of the things I read that was knocking it was it was overly predictable. It was thinking to myself yeah there's a lot of movies that are the dark knight's pretty predictable and that did all right for itself um not to compare the mutations to the dark knight but i was unaware until i started it and hopped on my phone and started reading of a few things about the um the circus troupe that was in it so that was immediately kind of like oh so it's like freaks and then um the mad scientist element of it is if you've ever seen a horror movie before and you hear the things that he's talking about in the beginning, you're like, oh, hell yeah, Donald Pleasant's going to be crazy. <laughs> I, I didn't expect them to go full board with like the fucking plant man at the end. That kind of <laughs> the revealing shot of him. Uh, well, the first one, he kind of just looks like the fly where he's like kind of half developed. Mm -hmm. And then when he shows up and eats that bum, it was like, oh, my God, they're really going for it here. This looks like, you know, a villain from the uh, Power Rangers show or some shit. <laughs> uh, if this had been much longer, you know, the, the novelty of it really would have worn off. But I can with confidence say that I've seen a lot more movies from this era than you have. So I guess I want to turn that on to you. Of when did you fig when did you settle in to understanding what you were you were in for? Or I mean, you've seen enough movies to know this. Did you just know going in we were gonna get boobs and we were gonna get some cheesy violence and um I mean you you're the blank slate here, so what was your experience? Um the boobs, you know, I like I wasn't thinking about it until it happened. And then I was like, Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's that's how horror movies used to be. <laughs> oh yeah. So th that was, I mean, once it happened, it just, it wasn't a surprise anymore. Being uh, balanced too. There's a, a good amount of horror movies from this era where you get penis as well. So there's, there's something for everybody in some of these movies. Uh, yeah. Not this one though. No, <laughs> this no, one's no, no, very this... much catered to people who like boobs. There's Heavy no... on the TITS. Yeah. Not even man ass on this one. It's all about the ladies. Blown, uh, blown opportunity. Could have had Pleasant's ass, but no, not to be. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I mean, uh, he's putting his his lab coat. I mean, we joked about that in Contreras Corner, but that could have could have happened. I think that the this movie, Alex, landed in my life at at, at the right time. You saw my tweet a couple of days ago where I expressed my frustration with the runtimes of uh, most of the Best Picture nominees at the Oscars. And uh, it's it's kind of like this ongoing bitch fest that we've had over here on the show and off the show <laughs> where I'm just like slowly getting more and more irritated with the, the trend of movies getting longer and longer. And then here comes this movie that we're going to watch for the podcast that's like 90 minutes pretty straightforward about what it wants to be or at least that's what i you know assumed it was going to be and uh so when i sat down to watch this and, and this is what i meant by saying that i was uh, i was excited to watch it you know because i was like even if it sucked it was just 90 minutes and i knew i liked donald pleasance and just the very basics you know once you see that he's a mad scientist and he's talking about plants uh, and i knew it was some sort of creature feature like i could tell you know that I was going to be like, I guess my main, my only question was how campy is it going to get? And it didn't get very campy. I mean, I think that it actually stayed uh, closer to, you know, your standard horror, uh, which was fine with me. And maybe I would have had a little more trouble if it was campy, because I usually have trouble with that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, when it gets like over the top, trying to be funny or, or if the performance are too, performances are too big. Uh, but this was, Almost like the opposite, like the way that Donald Pleasance is playing this this dude is just so like unflappable, <laughs> you know. It's just like nothing, nothing rattles him. I mean, we can talk about whether that's that's good or bad, but I, it was definitely not what I expected. I guess when you know when once I realized it was gonna be the story of a mad scientist experimenting on plants and people but it was you know i settled in i think pretty early on and it was just that idea that uh movies back then were paced a little differently and you know i've been going through like the hitchcock movies and a couple other things that that i've been i think that (laughs) the the welcome side effect of me getting tired of all these really long movies being released in present day is that it's made a little easier for me to go back and watch older movies just because I appreciate the simplicity of them a little bit more. And, you know, I talked a little bit about the birds and uh, recent after hours. And this has that of just like, oh, it's just a simple story, you know, and it's going to be done quickly. So I had my expectations set like for that early on. And then once we got to the, to the, the carnival part of it, like, like I told you in Concerts Corner, like I could tell, the similarities, you know, with with freaks, even not having seen freaks, uh-huh. and but I couldn't tell you, you know, as far as the the commentary on that, if there was going to be any, and there wasn't. Like I don't think there was. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was just an element of the story. I don't think that the movie really touches much on on that side. Whereas, like, my impression is that freaks does. Freaks has an element of who's the real monster type thing. You know, these people that you are led to believe due to their physical deformities or abnormalities are these grotesque creatures or is it, you know, the pretty woman who chastises these people that she views as beneath them, that type of thing. Whereas here, it's just kind of like, remember Freaks? Um <laughs> Yeah, but there are, I mean, that doesn't mean that the, the potential was there because there's a couple of times where, you know, you have these avenues that are just not pursued. Uh, 
like the fact that that uh, Lynch wants to be fixed, right? And so he is yes. uh, he's turning into a monster. So you know, on the inside, so he can be fixed and no longer be a monster on the outside. You know, in his perception, and so. But that's just a plot point. It's not like the movie really explores that dichotomy and, you know, him or somebody else comes to a realization about that or like, you know, there was nothing wrong with you or, you know. Uh, if you want to, if you really want to dig into it, there is something you could make and kind of try to piece together from the idea of like, they try to welcome him into their community and he rejects them and then tries to use them in the end when he actually needs them and they turn their back on him. Like that's kind of interesting. And that, that that's like a universal type thing. You know, if someone, someone, you know, tries to open their door to you and feed you and put a, a shirt on your back type thing. Yeah. And actually, um, cause, because he was one of them, I guess uh, they say that originally he was an act and then, yeah. Yeah. And then you spit in their face and then you need them in the end, that type of thing. So there is that. Let's toast to that. Here's to Mr. Lynch. We accept you. He's one of us. Unfortunately, to tell a story in the vein of freaks or have a similar message, that kind of needs to be your focus, where really it's just the side here, the side plot here. This is really more of this mad scientist creating these hybrid creatures and, you know, just (laughs) unleashing them on the world to see what happens. It makes for an interesting sequence and it makes. Um, I guess it's fitting that Tony's the one that becomes the plant man after he spent that entire time, you know, chastising and because like my brain only works in wrestling terms, burying all the circus performers and ter- <laughs> you know viewing himself as so far um above them. You know, that's the District Nine thing too. So it, it I, that makes an interesting element to the story. Um, but then wouldn't it have been more satisfying for him to survive and join the the yes. troop. Well, yes, in a sense. You really need to see Freaks to see the ending. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it says something here that, yes, they are performers, are uh, circus performers in this movie, but some of them are better at line delivery and like presence than some of the actual actors that have like, you know, the real speaking parts in this. Like, yes. um, you know, I've never been in a big movie, but there's some people in this and I'm like, I could myself or Julio could probably deliver that line with just as much conviction <laughs> or, you know, we could figure out a way to make it work. And for uh, less money. Yes. Much less money. Give me 500 bucks. and Let me plug my podcast and I'm in. <laughs> let me have lunch with Donald Pleasance. Yeah, please. Yeah, I will be, stand in for him. You can cover me in green paint and <laughs> corn syrup and I will <laughs> writhe around going, no. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> The four out of the four main college students, you know, all of them kind of fit that archetype and mold of the bad horror movie actor. You know what I mean? That's what I was going to tell you. Like, I, I that's something. I mean, speaking of ex- expectations, I because I can be pretty critical. I mean, we both can. Uh, you have <laughs> close to 200 episodes of the show, maybe more <laughs> to prove that. But uh, I don't know. I, I honestly, it didn't bother me at all. Like the level of the performances. Uh, there you go. I, I was just like, this is just par for the course. It's a it's a silly movie about a mad scientist with because it wasn't camp, you know, and it was never. And I don't think that it was there was a moment where uh, they asked too much of them. 
you know, there's not like a big emotional Oscar scene that they're like, oh God, why couldn't they get somebody that could act? No, they just got some people that could deliver lines. And like you said, some of them do better than others. I think that Tony is good. Did, did you, would you agree with that or? No, Tony's good. You're right. Uh, the two gals, I, I thought of all people, and it turns out she's only had two other acting credits. Uh, Lisa Collings, who plays the prostitute, she's on screen for like 45 seconds, but her line delivery was so memorable to me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I really like that scene, but she specifically is like good and very natural in that. Listeners, Julio is kind of figuring out the genesis and like making of horror films in real time. He's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. And then they get these cheap actors that, you know, aren't that good, but it's okay. And it's, you know. Okay. Calm down, Alex, because <laughs> in the same breath, I mean, I'm going to tell you that this does not excuse the performances in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You well, know what I mean? And I think that that's because and maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm taking the Texas Chainsaw like Massacre Franklin. too seriously. I, I, yeah, that was the the weird impasse we came to, where it's like, I take it deathly seriously. And you didn't like Franklin, though. I thought Franklin was great. <laughs> His uh. nails on a chalkboard. And- <laughs> All right. Well, we have a whole episode on that, and we've gone back and forth on that in the past. But sticking here, uh, I jest. But yeah, that's you bring up a good point, because it's been firmly established that you don't enjoy camp horror in the same way that I do. See our Jason Takes Manhattan episode. Um, so <laughs> I get that, that the acting isn't great, but the movie still tells a coherent story. And as I always say, and I'm glad to hear that you're not necessarily coming around, but you're more becoming uh, disenchanted with the idea of long movies. Um, <laughs> something like this. You get in and you get out. Cool. I'm not going to say you're the best movie ever, but you haven't done anything to offend me. The problem is when you, you know, exactly this. Imagine if this movie had been 30 minutes longer or 40 minutes longer. Then it's just kind of like, all right, now you've lost sight of it all. I think there's also something to be said. And going back to the point of this coming at the right time for me, uh, it is just so unlike... (laughs) <laughs> most of the things that are available to be watched right now yes that it just you know that that freshness also carries me through uh, you know that the acting that's not great or the the things that don't make sense in the story or whatever you know it's like i we have this another ongoing discussion battle what have you is you know practical effects versus cgi and i will rib you about how what matters is if they're good or not not whether they're practical or cgi or whatever but it was just uh not to sound condescending, but it was pretty adorable to just see like the <laughs> the rubber suits and you know the the, the yeah. monsters. I mean, they don't look realistic, and why would they? But they were, you know. I think that was part of the charm of watching this movie, just seeing those creations. And I couldn't wait for the next reveal of the next, you know, thing that Loomis had created. So that was cool. So I think that it's it's. It benefits. Now, imagine uh, a world, and maybe 74 was a little bit like that. I don't know, where you have a lot of these movies all over the place. And so the mutations doesn't stand out in the way that the mutation stands out, at least for me, today. It's like if everywhere everywhere you look, there are like 90-minute movies that have uh, you know practical effects and this level of acting. And you know they're just kind of like out there with the plots or whatever. You know, does that does that mean is that why the mutations is not more of a classic? The seventies was also a massive decade for horror movies. And uh we did one recently that I completely blanked on, but um 
Black Christmas is a good example. That was a movie from 1974 as well. And there's so much shit like this from the 70s that is just wild. Throw it at the wall and see what happens. Like I, I mentioned the baby earlier. Uh, that's <laughs> a fucking insane movie from the uh, horror movie from the 70s. You know, from a genuine standpoint, that's the same decade as uh, obviously Carrie uh, and Texas Chainsaw. We mentioned The Exorcist, Hills Have Eyes, Suspiria. I mean, there's a lot of like horror movies that people say are their favorite horror movies that came out. But yeah, there was a lot going on in the way of horror and things like Last House on the Left and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then, of course, eventually Halloween, which opened the floodgates for the avalanche of the 80s. In the 70s, there were these movies that were made on low budgets that made a killing in the box office. And then it was just like, all right, just figure out the weirdest shit you can and put that on film. And then, you know, we'll hope for the best. And so it doesn't surprise me that something like uh, the mutations could have fallen through the cracks or, you know, slipped through the fingers of uh, connoisseurs and whatnot, just because there's so much like I'm constantly still just discovering shit from the 70s uh, as it pertains to horror films. The main thing I'm surprised of is that it reintroduced that idea of using the circus performers in kind of a spotlighted way that, at least to my knowledge, really hadn't since Freaks. So for that alone, I thought it would probably at least, you know, had a bit more notoriety. Um, but I think it just really comes down to there was so much going on in that decade in the genre that really only like the pillars are what stick out. There's still no news of Tony. Now, Lauren has been calling his flat all day. There's no answer. Has he even went around there? But is it easier to maybe not love, but appreciate the mutations today just because it's so different from... Oh, yeah. What there's you have a standard? Yeah, I might have misunderstood your question if that's the case. But yeah, absolutely. There's so much to be said. You know, that thing that went viral a while back that I, you know, kind of tapped the sign with of Anthony Mackie talking about movies that wouldn't be made today. That That's accurate, but that's not exclusive to recently when it, you compare it to horror films from the 60s, 70s and 80s that were made like... Uh, that's why going back through Shudder and like watching something like Graduation Day from 1981 is a movie. It's a trauma movie about uh, high school students that aren't going to make it to Graduation Day because they're going to get killed. Prom night, shit like that. So when you watch those things through today's lenses, it's like, man, they really made a movie like this. Like a, a studio said thumbs up. And they financed and pushed this thing out into the theaters. And so you watch something like The Mutations that adds extra elements to that of just insane hilariousness of even in 74, the plant man costume, people I guarantee in the theater laughed at that. But it's just because <laughs> it is kind of funny. But then he like ingests people. And then when he eats Loomis and like drops his, you know, semi gone, you know, semi decayed body on the floor. But it, see, that's, that's that's fascinating because I didn't laugh. Like I, I was, uh, I was pretty pumped about it. I, I was kind of in awe actually of like that it was that it looked cool. <laughs> but I, I get what you mean, like because I think it goes back to you know back in seventy four. If that's kind of like what surrounds you, then it's it doesn't feel special, and so it's just it's easier to just laugh at it. What year did The Exorcist come out? Was that seventy the seventy three? There was Exorcist and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre the next year that were like you know true bona fide horror classics. But then movies like this would be 
sprinkled in in and out because it kind of broke up the levity and it was fun to go see him and still at the same time be scared i think that was lost sight of for a while especially in the 2000s of uh you know it's definitely been lost now the idea of no this has to be actually scary all the time (laughs) or this has to like fuck with your brain in some way that you know when it's over you're just you don't want to do anything there's nothing wrong with a movie like this. It'll be a couple jump scares and cool reveals, but at the same time, you laugh at it. The problem is now, by and large, studios aren't going to bother with making movies that have like bad acting on this level. Well, maybe not for theatrical release. Oh, here comes your streaming service bullshit again. All right, so. it's, it's the truth. <laughs> it is, but got to get my jabs in. I was thinking out loud there in the beginning when I went to this, so we're going to circle back to this topic. All right, so Julio, as it pertains to the actual circus performers here, um, you know, we've already widely discussed Freaks, and that's the an example of... I, I think that movie, I watched it with my family around Halloween a few years ago, and my dad had never seen it before. You know, that movie's almost 100 years old, and he was very, like, bothered by it. I was going to say, and, he turned to you and was like, what is wrong with you? kind of like my mom loved it like she couldn't stop talking about it the next day and my dad was just so off put by it (laughs) and i think it was because my mom was able to kind of more see the story in it and my dad was sensitive to the subject just he was viewing it through 2021 or whatever we watched you know those lenses Mm -hmm. where my mom was just like holy she was like holy crap like what were people like when they were watching this? I'm like, well, like a whole half hour of the movie had to be destroyed because it freaked people out so much. So that movie still accomplishes its goal all all, all these years later, almost you know a century later. You look to something like this where we already hit on the topic of like it doesn't, in my opinion, really nail home all it could utilizing them. So I ask you watching this, when you see this brought onto the screen and the way it's presented – do you find it um, exploitative? Do you find it in bad taste? You know, because we can't help but view movies through 2023 lenses, and especially with this gimmick we do in our podcast, trying to put these, you know, cynical or optimistic veils on. I'm just curious what you take away from this because the movie doesn't make fun of them, it has characters in it make fun of them. And I don't think it really goes to say, man, look at these weirdos. But you know, people, we had this discussion about the whale recently. People will read movies differently. I don't think this discussion was really being had in 74, maybe, but just like today, if you recommended this movie to somebody, would you give them like a warning about this aspect of it? No, not a warning. I think that uh, I'll be, you know, this would be something that I would like to discuss with them afterwards. Uh, I don't think, I don't know. I, I wasn't bothered by it. I, I, I found it. I think I said in the Contreras Corner, I thought it was the most uh, memorable sequence in the movie. Like I said in Contreras Corner, I couldn't tell, and maybe this is a problem with the movie, <laughs> that I couldn't tell if the movie was an indictment of the audiences that would go to those type of shows and and show, uh, you know, disgust, uh, just act horrified by just people on stage that are that happen to be different uh or if the movie was using those people as you know just for shock value the story would point towards the uh the filmmakers 
sympathizing with the with the circus performers, you know. But I don't know if the filmmakers are actually if they're mostly using them as props. And then if they are, then that's a problem. And maybe the movie needed to be a little more clear um, because that sequence goes on forever. And there are just as many close-ups of the reactions in the audience as there are of the the actual performers. And, you know, I couldn't tell if it was meant to be, uh, man, aren't these guys really weird? Isn't this fucked up? Or if it was supposed to be like, isn't the audience fucked up? You know, that they're just, this system has dehumanized these people for being different and and the audience is just kind of complicit in it, you know, because they're paying for it and they're they're, they're doing what, what management wants them to do. I, I couldn't tell. Or is uh, Jack Cardiff playing 4D chess and he's actually <laughs> interrogating the audience of the movie and questioning you, you know, trying to make you question your own reaction to the way that he shot this scene. You know, when you see uh, the bearded woman, when you see the, the monkey lady, when you see the lizard woman or whatever, you know, what is your reaction? Are you reacting to to what makes them different and being grossed out? Or are you appalled by what the audience is doing? I don't know, because I haven't seen anything else by Jack Cardiff. I, I, I don't know that if there is an actual answer, like in the movie, it doesn't come out clearly. Did you did you experience it? Uh, differently did you feel strongly one way or the other no i I feel that you know you could make the argument that it kind of was superfluous because there really wasn't a statement made or um a resolution to anything but you know it's just the type of movie they were making and obviously like we mentioned in contrarian's corner this was a real circus act and this is how they made their living so fuck why not i'll be in this movie just do my act on film and um it really at the end of the day just seemed like the makers of this wanted to inject the spirit of freaks into it, which is, you know, like I said, it's a extremely influential movie. Now, the one who was obviously made up was uh, Tom Baker wearing the prosthetics on his face, the makeup and all that is Lynch. And I, I think short of Donald Pleasance, I mean, would you agree there that the A and the B of this movie from an acting perspective? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then and the C is probably Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Scott no, no, Anthony no, this, was his name. C is a prostitute, and then D is Tony. I might even put Burns over Tony because Burns has a couple of good scenes. Yeah, you're right, Burns, especially uh, his his big argument with Lynch when he's like, "I'm, I'm done. done." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he say, Bur- uh, Lynch says something just like, "Burns, you're you're just as guilty as I am." And he looks at him, he goes, "Prove it," and then goes over <laughs> to his teapot. <laughs> Uh, so Burns played by Michael Dunn uh, looks like he had some other acting credits as well and then Scott Anthony uh, was Tony let's see what Mr. Anthony was also in The Mutations was his last film prior to that he was in Savage Messiah So Goes It Sherry Between the Wars and Dead Cert so you know it's there like, you go. I wore that rubber suit I don't know what else how could I top this <laughs> Don't come any closer. I've changed. You mustn't see. But Tony. No! No! No control. No time. 
All right. So Tom Baker as Lynch. Good. And then, you know, the main event, we've already given him enough praise. Donald Pleasance. It's, you know, between this, uh, Wake and Fright, and then we did, I think, three of the Halloween movies that he's featured in. Four. Four. The only one we did, yeah. The only one of the ones he's been in we didn't do was uh, the second one. I love Halloween and I love him as Dr. Loomis. Obviously, this is your first time listening. Head on back. We have an entire series on the Halloween franchise. You know, Eye of the Devil, I mentioned, and um, You Only Live Twice, some other things of his that I've seen before. Specifically, Wake and Fright was kind of a revelation to how great of an actor he was. But something like this also, where it's so silly and ludicrous, but he does portray Nolter as this just soft-spoken psychopath so convincingly. (laughs) Great actor, and I think was the glue of this movie. I probably would have had fun with it regardless, but him being in it, number one, added the, hell yeah, Loomis is in this movie. And then on top of it, too, just every t- when he wasn't on screen, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get back to Nolter. He's going to do something crazy, like that type of thing. <laughs> so high high praise for Donald Pleasance here. Definitely the MVP of uh, Freak Maker. Yeah, the, the, he was the the big attraction, I think. He was you know the reason to, to check it out. Uh, without him, I probably would have been a little more, uh, I guess, uh, reluctant to to start the movie. But he was my entry point because I was like, okay, no matter what happens, I know that Pleasant is gonna be there. So that that made it easier to jump in. There are two when I was flipping through quotes and whatever. The two main complaints I saw about the movie from people that that hadn't enjoyed it uh, were his performance. Because he's playing it like kind of like we joked about, you know, he's playing it not like what you would expect when you're talking about a, a mad scientist that is uh, creating mutant plants, right? He's just he's a lot calmer and more uh, laconic about the whole thing. So that was one. The other big complaint was just the pacing, like uh, people saying that the movie just moved too slowly. I didn't really feel that it moved slowly, and I no. and I liked. Pleasance's performance, so I don't agree with either of those, and I'm guessing you you don't either. Like I, mm. I think it moves. <laughs> there's a version of this movie that moves a lot faster and has more plant attacks and more, I guess, set pieces, so to speak. Uh, but I think that this movie, from the very beginning, sets the tone. So I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't like, oh, when is all hell breaking loose? I was like, oh no, this movie started with. <laughs> this weird montage of plants growing so i kind of knew what i was in for from the very beginning yeah i i would agree with all that so with all this being said it must be asked since there's a whole swimming pool of other movies like this out there does this make you curious about finding other movies from the like horror movies from the 70s that you would put on in the background while just doing random shit or is your experience and you know um foray into the horror genre still going to be limited to the contrarians what what are we going to need to do julio to get you uh, to co- to cross over you gotta stamp a, a, one of those uh marvel openings before any movie and they'll be like all right sure i'll give it a shot the problem is that there is so much and i know that there's stuff that it's a hundred percent not for me and so mm-hmm. I need to. I need some curation. I think <laughs> that's. If you want to know, like, what's more likely, what's what could make it more likely for me to like watch more horror movies, is is I need some pointers because if you leave it up to me, I don't know where to start. I was just gonna like, okay, what else has Donald Pleasant done? <laughs> uh, 
I know the classics, you know, but that's that's about it. And that, that's why, like, the, the Hitchcock thing is pretty easy for me right now. You know, it's like, well, I just go and see what's streaming that I haven't seen that was directed by Hitchcock. And I know kind of, like, what I'm getting into. Whether I end up liking the movie or not, I, I have a pretty good idea of what I can expect. And that's that helps me, you know, just get in. And, mm-hmm. But... If you say horror movies from the 70s, I mean, it's like, God, I mean, I can type that in on a search engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's like, I don't know. Uh, so I guess the fact that you're open to it now, listeners, hit up Julio on our Twitter at Contrarian Prime, recommending your favorite, uh, the more off the wall, better random horror films from the 70s. And Well, there has to be, let's not go crazy either. Uh, okay, there has to be like, oh, I see, I see. There has to be like... um an intriguing factor. It can't just be random as shit. Like but, in but this also, case, it was Donald Pleasance. Yeah. And also, you know, I couldn't watch like five mutations in a row, you know, that's, mm, I, I know there are people fair. that, that can, but for me, because it's not really my genre still. So I, I, like I said, this came at the perfect time. You know, if I wasn't, uh, if it wasn't a different mood, maybe I would have been a little harsher or I would have had a harder time with this movie, but this was just kind of just what the doctor ordered. So it was, it was good. But, you know, I, I have a couple of friends that are just to be fanatics and they're constantly posting like the posters of the, the shit that, you know, they're watching on Tubi. And I'm like, I'm glad you guys are having fun, but there's no way I could dedicate that much time to watching, you know, these uh, low budget, uh, mostly horror movies because mm. I know that I just I I have a hard time you know taking them seriously and and this movie the mutations I took it seriously <laughs> because I felt that it took itself seriously even though it was you know kind of silly does that make sense <laughs> like you know Donald Pleasance yeah. was you know he, he wasn't slumming he he wasn't you know uh, winking at the camera or anything nobody was really and so even though it was a pretty outlandish premise it felt like a movie not you know something that people were doing just to pass the time and i think that a lot of like horror movies it, not just from you know all the horror movies but also from today you know feel like oh it's just something that we just figured out we make a movie because why not <laughs> so so that's the thing if if you want to recommend something to me like I'm not saying that it can't be silly, but I would like it to take itself seriously. Okay, thank you for refining the uh, the search there. You you turn the you hit the filters tab and then yes. refine the search <laughs> options. So <laughs> I, I dig it. We'll parcel it out. I think this might be um, a trend that we may need to come back to every once in a while: is horror movies from the '70s and '80s and getting julio's thoughts on him but tonight's pick turned out well um i mean this isn't an a plus by any stretch of the imagination it, it is silly but it's fun and um you know we've experienced this phenomenon that julio's explaining several times on here the idea of the movie hitting you at perfectly the right time and i'm glad to, i was really worried that you were just gonna like trash this because you know we've talked about horror movies before that are not your thing and i've learned more about what there needs to be for a horror movie to kind of open itself up to you. And I, I get that more now. So that will probably reap benefits in the future. Uh, in the end, I think I'm going to go with a C plus on this one. Um, I enjoyed it. If I come across a cheap enough physical copy of it on Amazon, the Blu-ray is 40 bucks. So that's not quite there yet, but I, I would be more than happy to add this to my collection and put it on my horror shelf one day. Uh, Julio, how many stars you throw in its way? I came in with two and a half stars and i'm actually gonna leave with three stars 
only oh. it, but you know it's crazy because i know it's uh it's not being necessarily objective i, mean, I guess it never is you know it's <laughs> our ratings are subjective but the mm. the conversation i'm gonna give um jack cardiff the benefit of the doubt and i'm gonna assume that he wasn't just you know we're we're asking ourselves is it exploitation that that big sequence and just the way that he uses yeah. the the sideshow performers and i'm going to i'm going to choose to believe that it isn't and that he he was doing a sci-fi movie and he saw an opportunity to maybe inject something that was a little more relevant but he didn't overdo it and unfortunately because he didn't overdo it it just doesn't come across clearly but i i like that it's there and i like that we could have a conversation about it and and wonder, you know, whereas this movie could not have that and just be, just feel shallower. So I'm glad it's there. I, I walk away from it as, you know, I'm going to remember it. So yeah, I'm going to give it three stars. Well, hot damn. Dale, you done good. Perfect timing. <laughs> Catch me on a, on a bad day. And maybe this gets like one and a half. I'm like, I have no patience for this. What was the one we did recently that was beloved? And you, oh, the on a bad day was uh, pretty persuasion. You were just, you had no time for that movie. <laughs> that one pushed my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you understand? I want to you. Don't you understand? I want you. All right. Well, the patron takeover off to a rousing start, an optimistic one. Julio, what comes next? Uh, another patron pick. This one couldn't be more different from the mutations. The Hugh Grant vehicle about a boy. And Alex, uh, we were discussing this right before we started recording. Uh, I had forgotten that the boy in question is Contrarian's favorite, Nicholas Holt. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is coming to us courtesy of Jamie Russell, and it's super fresh. So... Get ready for Alex and I to say really mean things about about a boy before we tell you how we really feel. Have you seen it, Alex? I was looking at it earlier. I feel like I have. It was 2002. Hugh Grant and then Rachel Weisz, Tony Collette. I feel like I've seen this on like a premium channel before, but I I don't remember much of it. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out in theaters. Looking forward to the revisit. Is it Hugh Grant's? No, he was in Cloud Atlas. Triumphant Return. Well, this is definitely Hugh Grant as Hugh Grant's first appearance on The Contrarians. <laughs> Not Hugh Grant as a futuristic cannibal. Yeah, this is Hugh Grant. I uh, can't get to the end of a sentence in under 30 seconds, Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah, well, looking forward to that. Hopefully you guys are as well. Uh, but that's that's in the future as the patron takeover continues. Now, Alex, get us out of here. All right. So we'll move on into our perennial plugs, and we'll start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgieser is the man behind our logo, behind uh, all the graphics that you see on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page, that little tomato interacting with things looking at itself in the mirror that's all hands so you can check out his work uh, on his webpage mildemonios.pe that's m-i-l-d-e-m-o-n-i-o-s dot p-e give him a shout out online reach him on twitter at mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com he has two podcasts Nacion Combi and Marginal Nacion Combi about Peruvian current affairs Marginal about economy 
check out his uh, fantasy novels, mostly about zombies. He keeps himself busy. But Hans, thank you for all your support. Be sure to head over to LateNightGrin.com for any and all pro wrestling podcasting needs. Friends over there. By the time this episode will be up, I will have done my monthly episode with them. We'll be discussing Paul White, the big show, the giant, his career, and some of his uh, outstanding matches. But got some good friends over there if you are a wrestling fan they occasionally talk about movies as well but be sure to uh, check out their website hop on their patron for a buck if you can uh, good dudes and they have some often hilarious opinions on the ludicrous sport of professional wrestling not ludicrous is our social media game and our social media uh, guru Zoe Perez also shout out to Corey Ari who's been helping out with us as well recently if you haven't already you can follow us on Instagram at Contrarian Prime you can follow us on YouTube or I think they call that subscribe right it's the subscribe button uh, hit the button hit the button subscribe youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime we greatly appreciate the effort that's put in to make our social media game look very pretty very presentable very professional uh, better than Julio and I could do, uh, especially me. I, I have no idea how to edit shit for YouTube or Instagram. So thank you so much, Zoe. And uh, Corey also has been helping out recently. And thank you to you, the listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We'll catch you next time. And do not get eaten by a plant man in the meantime. <laughs> it's so awesome when he just like crawls up on the bum and the guy's like, no! Nah! Bye.